That's my American Express card. Uh, it used to be when they started advertising American Express cards, and in fact they started advertising American Express traveler's checks, but then cards. Uh, the American Express card, you, if you had this and you were a member, you had superior worldwide benefits to every other card available. That was what they advertised. This was, this was the card that was above all cards. It was superior. In fact, they would say, if you had an American Express, that you didn't just have a card, you had a membership. And they talked about membership, a membership that gives you worldwide accessibility and security. And so the slogan was, American Express, I wonder if you can say it with me, don't leave home without it. Yes, you got it. Don't leave home without it. So whatever you're doing and wherever you're going, this little card will get you what you need. And then when you come back home, you spend the next six months trying to pay it off at 24% interest, right? So I'm going to put it right back in here and ask Trish to give me hers. American Express made those words into a clever gimmick. And it was really successful. This is something that you shouldn't leave home without. Today I'm asking you to hear the seriousness in what we are looking at, in what you really truly must not leave home without. Today I'm asking you to not leave home without the scriptures. Now look, I, I don't mean wherever you go you have to have a, a hard copy Bible in your hands, right? I'm, I'm not saying that, um, but I mean, it's pretty easy for us to do that these days. If you've got a mobile phone, you can have a hard copy Bible in your hands, right? And so you can walk around basically everywhere with the Bible. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm saying that compared to American Express, American Express has nothing on the guiding, directing wisdom of God's word for every Christian to understand this world, to understand life, to, to give us mind-renewing transformation, growing in godliness, serving our king wherever we are. The transforming power of the word of God as it points to Christ and his good news. So I want to give you a statement today. And I actually want us to be able to remember it. In fact, I want everybody, old and young, to be able to remember it, including really young kids. I want you to be able to remember this. Kids, I'm going to talk to you a couple of times today, so please pay attention as much as you can, because I want us to understand that this really is something that we must not leave home without, without having an understanding of the truth of Scripture in our mind as we, as we live. It's a truth to live by, an absolute necessity if we're going to have a faithful ministry in serving Jesus Christ. So, are you ready? In serving our Lord, one thing we must know, God's word must direct us wherever we go. I've written, I've written it this way because it's just going to be, I want you to remember it. Kids, I want you to remember this. Actually, what I would like you to do is try and remember this and try sometime this week to go up to mum and dad. And I know there's kids at home as well, um, all of the Ertl kids and whoever else at home, but those, those who are here, I, I want you to go up to mum and dad this week and go up and say this to mum and dad. Be able to say this. In serving our Lord, one thing we must know, God's word must direct us wherever we go. Hey, how about we all say it together? Ready? In serving our Lord, one thing we must know, 
God's word must direct us wherever we go. I mean, I want it to be catchy because I, I, I want that truth to be ringing in our ears. Because it is a truth. Here's what I'm going to do today. This is so important. This is, I mean, it's important every time we come to God's word, but I just feel that this text is something that we need to revere in a special way this morning, just this morning. So would you stand, please, everybody stand. We're going to read our text together today. So as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 17, we're going to read this out all together from the ESV on the screen. Are you ready? 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You, however, have followed... Uh, sorry. That's... Uh, there should be a verse from 15 to 17 there. Okay, I'm going to continue reading this. I'm so sorry. Wow. All scripture is, God, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's obviously my fault. Let me say that again to you. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Would you please take a seat? I'm sorry, there it is. Wow. This is really the second half of one big argument. Really important text. Paul is making this argument to Timothy. Last week we dealt with the first half of this argument. This is kind of part B of the sermon. Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus. Uh, he is called to be strong uh, in contrast to the false teachers and worldly influences around the church. And he has this incredible example that he's followed. Actually, we started to read that there. You have followed the example of Paul. You have followed his teaching. You followed all of these things in him. And as Timothy does that, he needs to understand that the reality that everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What, what he's seen in Paul, he saw the sufferings of Paul, he saw the persecutions of Paul, right? And, and he saw Paul, you know, walk even back into Antioch where he was just beaten. And he, he saw Paul do this and, and so Timothy has understood the reality that Paul is saying everyone who, live, who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Christian life and ministry is not an easy ride. It, it, it's a contrast to a world that hates Jesus. It's a contrast to a world that doesn't like what Jesus says and what the Bible says. And, and the very last thing that we read last week, considering that, Christians, as we follow the example and teachings of Paul and Christ, will be persecuted. We read that evil people and imposters will spiral from bad to worse in this world. That's the world that we live in. That's the reality. 
Now, Paul gives Timothy a command. So he's gone from this. You've got to learn. You've got to understand this reality. And in learning this, okay, uh, here is what I'm saying to you. Here's the command from Paul. He says, continue, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. So if we can go back to that verse, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. And, and we can't help but notice that everything that Timothy has learned and been persuaded of revolves around the scriptures. We're going to see that very, very distinctly this morning. And I'd like us to really focus in on what Paul says particularly about the scriptures. But uh, there's something really stunning I want us to look at really carefully in verse 14. Timothy is to continue, look at this, in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. So he does refer to people, doesn't he? He's, and if you look at the previous verses, if you understand something about the previous verses, well, like we've just said, Timothy has obviously seen a lot of things in Paul. He's seen Paul, he's seen Paul's life, he's seen Paul's teaching, he's, he's understood all of that. And Paul was a great example to Timothy in both expounding the scripture and really living out the gospel call and the ministry of the gospel. But that, that's just not the only one that Paul, that Timothy has learned from, knowing whom you've learned it. If you read on in verse 15, we see, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. From childhood, there's been people in Timothy's life that he's seen. And we've already seen that actually in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Verse 5, Timothy has faith in Christ, and we read in there that was first found in his grandmother, Lois, and mother Eunice. We've already read that in 2 Timothy. Timothy has had this rich heritage of, of biblical influence and a, a witness of what faith and ministry actually look like in people who are living out and believing and teaching the Bible. And who has he seen it in? He's seen it in his mother. He's seen it in his grandmother, and he's seen it in his spiritual father, Paul. There's a very interesting statement in this command. Timothy is to continue in it. He's to abide in it or remain, remain in it. Remain in what he's learned. So stay this course, Timothy. Regardless of the opposition that is around you, remember what you've learned, who you've learned it from. Stay this course what you've learned and what you have firmly believed. Do you see those words there? Really important words. What you have firmly believed. Uh, it could be translated as what you've been convinced of or what you've been persuaded by. And then if you continue reading on, we see what he's persuaded by, what he has been persuaded by. This is important. I just want to, let's, let's just camp on this for a minute. Timothy is to remain or continue in what he has been persuaded by. It's so easy to just read, by the, read past those words, right? What you've firmly believed. Because sometimes we, we don't see the importance of that. Let me tell you, that, that term, firmly believe or be persuaded, is really, really important when you're Tom Madden facing a really serious illness in an ICU unit, Right? Um, it's, it, you want to be persuaded. It's really important when you have opposition around you 
and you're living a godly life in Christ Jesus and you will be persecuted, that you know and are persuaded that you firmly believe in what, what, what you believe in. Otherwise, why would you withstand persecution? If Timothy's going to be willing for this, he needs to have a strong persuasion. And the, that persuasion is in two areas. Timothy has been persuaded in the truth of the sacred writings that we're going to talk about in a moment. And Timothy has been persuaded by seeing the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word lived out in ministry before him in those who have had gospel influences in his life. Real gospel influences. He's witnessed people in his life, Lois, Eunice, Paul, who have not just talked the talk, but walked the talk. They've walked the talk. They've lived out. They don't just have an appearance of godliness like we've heard about the false teachers who don't really have any power. There's no repentance and transformation in their life. He's seen people that have had a transformation in their life in relation to the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, in the truth of God's word. And he's seen an authentic, sincere faith and what it looks like and how powerful it is. That's really, really important. Can I just make a really important statement about the Christian faith for a moment? God did most definitely use Eunice and Lois, mums and dads. He uses mums and dads and grandparents, right? God most definitely did use Lois's faith and Eunice's faith. He definitely did use Paul's faith in Timothy's life. But while Timothy has the same faith that Paul has, Timothy does not have Paul's faith. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Whilst Timothy has the same faith that Eunice and Lois have in Christ Jesus, because it's all the same object, it's Jesus who died for us. Right? He does not have Eunice's faith and he does not have Lois's faith. Timothy has Timothy's faith. Timothy firmly believes. Timothy has been persuaded. Timothy. Christianity is not some religion you come into by association. Christianity is not a faith you come into by nationality, not by family name, not by cultural heritage or religion. It's not salvation by association. There actually really is no room, okay, there is no Christian who is not a persuaded Christian. Think about that for a moment. I'm not saying that every Christian has to have answered every skeptical question, right, in the world. I'm saying that there is no Christian who is not persuaded that Jesus Christ is their saviour, that he is the, the Lord of all who came into this world, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died and rose again for our sins, and we turn from our sins and put our trust in him. There is no Christian that is not persuaded of that. It's really important because I want to speak to any child in the room. If, if you're a child at the moment, if someone's child, you're living under their roof as a, as a, as a little child or even a teenager, I, I want you to hear me at the moment, young people, children. What I'm trying to say is you must believe in Jesus because you believe in Jesus. You must believe in Jesus because you believe in Jesus, not just because mum and dad believes in Jesus. That's important. It's important that mum and dad believe in Jesus. But it's important that you believe in Jesus because you believe in Jesus. Now, what that means 
because we all need to firmly believe what that means is that you might have to ask mum and dad some questions about the Bible. You might have to ask them some questions about Jesus that you don't understand. And I'm telling you, you must ask these questions. Must ask mum and dad and Sunday school teachers and other people in church about, listen, we want, do we want questions? Parents, people, do we want questions? We want questions, don't we? Right? We really absolutely do. And you know what? Mum and dad aren't always going to have all the answers, okay? At least not in, on the spot like that. But here's the great thing, that mum and dad also belong to a, a Christian family here in this church who help each other and we look at the word of God together and we study it together and we find answers, wonderful answers to, to the questions of this world together and then come back and help you. And so I'm going to say, listen to the answers. And say, read the Bible yourself. As soon as you can read, read the Bible yourself. Watch the lives of mum and dad and other believers in this church and how they're so different to what you see in the world. And ask God to show you and help you to know the truth of Jesus for yourself. How important is that? So important, so important. Mums and dads and, and spiritual mums and dads here and, and for each other, we really must encourage this. That, that people seriously know that they can ask questions as we seriously teach and live out the word of God before them. Now, I want us to all hear these great words that I read this week from John Calvin in his commentary on this. And, and John Calvin said this, he said, there is nothing more alien to faith than a credulity that accepts everything unquestioningly, even if it's from mum and dad, right? No matter what source it comes from. For the basis of faith is knowing that its origin and authority are in who? God. Are in God. So that's the persuasion we pray, isn't it? For our children, for ourselves, for other people. And so we need to talk about where that persuasion comes from. And therefore we need to talk about the scriptures that were taught out and lived out in front of Timothy by Lois, Eunice and Paul. So Paul gives us four amazing truths about the scriptures as we go forward in here. And the first one is that God's word has divine Christ-centered wisdom. Look at verse 15. Paul describes the sacred writings as those that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now notice that Paul doesn't just say that they make you wise, period. It's not, it's not just wise, period, right? It's, it's a special, it's a specific kind of wisdom. I mean, the, spirit, the scriptures are wisdom. They certainly are full of wisdom, but not just any kind of wisdom. They are wisdom unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's real wisdom. That's not just wisdom that helps you to have a better life in this world. That's wisdom that is beyond this world and helps you to stand before the God of the universe. That's wisdom. It's eternal wisdom. It's not temporal wisdom. It's wisdom unto salvation. That's the real nature of, we get to understand the nature of humanity in this wisdom. Who we really are. What sin really is. What the consequences of sin really is. The reality of this world. The, the great need of a saviour and the complete reliance on the righteousness of Jesus Christ to cover our sins through his sacrifice. This is, these are not... Scriptures that just turn you into being some worldly sage, right? Not just wise. These are amazing. These are sacred writings that help us to know what it is to live before God from now and into eternity. That's, 
That's incredible. And, and which part of the scriptures is Paul talking about when he's talking to Timothy, who learned these scriptures from a young child? Which part? The Old Testament, right? The Old Testament. Listen to what we hear about the scriptures in the Old Testament, often known as the law. Um, Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's not any type of wisdom, isn't it? It's, is it? it's wisdom that revives the soul. It makes one alive. That only comes through a, a transformation of salvation. How does it do it? It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Even this, this law, even this Old Testament scripture that is in anticipation yet of Christ to come. And the, and the law was consistently pointing to our need for a saviour. In the law was, you need to take these animals and you need to sacrifice them, right, in the temple. You need to, you need to take them. The blood needs to flow. There, 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 there must be a, a sacrifice made for your sin, for the, uh, the, the shedding of blood, for the remission of sin. And every time that was done, there was a, a, an aspect in which well, this is not enough because I've got to come and do it again and again and again. And, and we're still waiting for the day that God will provide the seed of the woman that will ultimately crush the head of the serpent. And from Genesis 3, you're consistently looking ahead and saying, when is this? Who is this? This Messiah that is coming, that he is going to once and for all do away with sacrifice and, and bring about a great salvation and blessing for the nations. And, and so there is this, this way in which that is done in faith, knowing that God is going to forgive us our sin for something yet that is, is yet to happen that is so much greater. See, there's a huge, huge truth right here in these words. When, when Paul specifically says the scriptures, the sacred writings, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings, these Old Testament texts that Timothy has. I want to put it like this to you. If you don't read the Old Testament with the Messiah in mind, you're going to completely miss the point of the Old Testament. If you don't read the Old Testament looking forward to the coming seed who's going to crush the serpent's head, you're going to miss the point of the Old Testament. That that was exactly what Paul was trying to do. In fact, let me say this. Jesus, when he was constantly talking to the Pharisees, he was constantly showing them how they're missing the point of the Old Testament scriptures as they pointed to him as the Messiah. He, he's completely, uh, he showed his disciples that how all the, the law and the prophets, right, they all point to him. He showed them that on the road to Emmaus. Peter, when he was standing before the Jews, was using the Old Testament scriptures to show this is how they pointed to Jesus Christ, who you crucified. Paul, in his preaching in the book of Acts and all through his letters, is constantly going back to the Old Testament to show how it points to Jesus and his death and resurrection. Constantly, constantly, constantly. Let, let me give you an, an example of where Paul is saying we can just be completely blinded. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 to 16 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. And, and Paul is talking to those in Corinth who seem to be fixated on the works of the law, right? On legalism and not seeing the point of the law as it points us to our need for a saviour. And in the middle of that discussion, this is what Paul says to them. He says, their minds were hardened 
For to this day, and he's talking about the Israelites there, their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the same veil remains unlifted. Because, look at these words carefully, only through Christ is it taken away. That's where we say, wow. Only through Christ is it taken away. These are amazing words. Do you understand the nature and focus of the Old Testament? If you want to understand it, okay, you won't understand it outside of Christ. You won't understand it outside of an anticipation for the Messiah yet to come, right? Because either Christ is going to be the focus of the Old Testament or the legality of the law will be the focus of the Old Testament and the law does not save. And the Old Testament is able to make you wiser to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, it's amazing. Look at verse 15 onwards. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. We see the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. It takes it's like scales off the eyes and we look at the Old Testament and we just see, wow, look at all of this fulfillment. Look at it. Look at it all. It's, it's amazing. When you come to faith in Jesus, even the Old Testament scriptures you, you look at it and you see the glory of the gospel of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul's point to Timothy is that he has everything he needs in the Old Testament scriptures that he had at that stage to show the amazing way it points to the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, the Messiah. As our only way of reconciliation with God. Isn't it a blessing, though, that we now live in a time that that we have, that we can enjoy a completed canon of scripture that show the, the absolute fulfillment of everything in Jesus Christ in mind-blowing clarity in the Gospels. It's just glorious, isn't it, that we have that. Now, I'm saying this, and I want to give a little bit of a warning. Be careful, brothers and sisters. Here's a warning that I want to give us. Because there are pastors in very famous ones and scholars even today, who would say not to read the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens. But Paul is saying exactly the opposite here in 2 Corinthians. When you read the Old Testament with anticipation of the Messiah, you see that every aspect is a progression to the Messiah. When you read the Old Testament in anticipation of the Messiah, you see that every aspect is a progression to the Messiah. That's divine Christ-centered wisdom. That's what we get in the Bible. And in that divine Christ-centered wisdom, it has a divine origin. God's word has a divine origin. Look at this incredible verse that we come to, verse 16. And just look at these first few words. All scripture is breathed out by God. I mean, is there a more compelling statement about the authority of the scripture in the whole Bible than that statement? All scripture is breathed out by God. And Paul's really making one simple statement of fact here. He's talking about scripture has a divine origin. The origin of scripture is God. And, and let's think about it in context. Timothy's been told to continue in what he has learned and he has firmly believed. That extends, yes, to the influence of great examples in his life. Paul, Lois, Eunice. But what is being said here? is when it comes to scripture, what Paul, Lois, and Eunice used with you and taught you with, let me tell you something, Timothy. This scripture, these sacred writings, have a higher weight than your own experience. 
of Paul, Lois and Eunice. These, this has a higher weight of authority. This is something that is higher weight than your own experience. Your experience is not the authority. Even an experience of learning under the great apostle Paul, that is not your authority. God's divine word is your authority. And it was Paul's authority and Lois and Eunice's authority. So what does it tell us? Why is it? Because it is breathed out by God. It's God breathed. Listen, this, this book requires the same reverence as we would give to God because this is God's voice. This is something that we really need to heed here, brothers and sisters. This is not just a book of information. This is not just good philosophical thought. It's not just wisdom. From a, especially not from a human sage. It's, it's not just some good ethics to follow. This is God-breathed, divine revelation. This is Timothy's reason for standing his ground against contrary opinion. You better have it on good authority if you're going to go against the world. Well, guess what? We've got it on the highest authority. And so... No matter the cost, he has absolute truth that, the, that he has divine origin making, making this the magisterial authority, the authority over all claims of authority in this world. There's not one claim of authority that is greater than this authority because this is God's word. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, this, this is one of the most widely used verses in churches all over the world. All scripture is God is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out by God. Every time you read a book about the doctrine of inspiration, how, how we get the scriptures, God through men, every time you read one of those books, there are whole books, whole books that are written about this one verse to talk about the doctrine of inspiration, God giving us his word. That's what people mean when they talk about the doctrine of inspiration, God giving us his word. There are whole sermon series on, these, on this one verse. Uh, today, I, I just have a simple task today. I'm just trying to help us see these verses in the context of 2 Timothy 3 and, and, and what we are to, to get from them in, in, in their context. But we could talk about inspiration for weeks and weeks and weeks. But I just have this one simple task. But I do want to say one thing about this doctrine of inspiration, by how we get God's word to us through, through men. And we use the word inspiration uh, to say that, you know, how God gave us his word through men, inspired those, inspired his word through them. And so we, we use that word all the time, but do you know that's not the word in the text? The, the word in the text is, is different to this. Inspired is something that you take in, inspired, right? Inspired. It's not wrong that we use it, but I just want to make sure that we're not using it like the world normally uses this world. Because when you talk to somebody about inspiration these days, you know, the, the general use of this word is like, for instance, a, a, a painter who is sitting and looking at a great, beautiful, natural scene in front of him, majestic mountains, sun setting, beautiful colours in the sky, and, and he's inspired by that 
to go and paint it, right? It's like a motivation. It motivates him. It motivates his creative senses to, to go and, and do that. So he's got motivation to paint that landscape. That's not how really we use the word when we talk about the doctrine of inspiration. It's not something that we take in. In fact, the word that Paul uses is not in at all. The word that Paul uses to talk about this doctrine of inspiration, all scripture is breathed out by God as we read it in, in uh, 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 2 Timothy 3. It's this word theopneustos, theo, theo, which is God, theos, and neustos, which is exhale, breathe, breathe out. Do, do, it's not in, is it? It's breathe. I love the ESV. The ESV has absolutely translated this very, very specifically as to the word theopneustos. It's breathed out by God. And it's, it's really profound. It has a really significant meaning and we should see it. So if you've got the word inspired, some texts do say, you know, all scripture is inspired by God or given to us by inspiration of God. That's okay, but just make sure you write in the margin, breathed out by God. Because it, it has specific meaning. And I want you to hear what that meaning is. In 1800s, late 1800s, there was a guy by the name of B.B. Warfield. How many of you heard of Warfield? Yeah, there's a number. If any of you have done any extensive reading on the inspiration and authority of God's word, you've read Warfield because his text on the inspiration and authority of God, which was actually published posthumously in the early 1900s, uh, he was the president of Princeton Seminary before it became liberal in today's time, right? But um, he, he wrote extensively on the authority and inspiration of scriptures. I want you to hear what B.B. Warfield says about this word theopneustos and it being breathed out by God. Listen to this. He said this, No term could have been chosen, however, which would have more emphatically asserted the divine production of scripture than that which is here employed. The breath of God is in scripture the symbol of his almighty power, the bearer of his creative word. By the word of Jehovah, we read in the significant parallel of Psalm 33, 6, were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Don't, don't miss that. Psalm 33, 6 says God created by the breath of his mouth. And now we are reading that we get the word of God by his breath breathed out to us. It's power. And so Warfield goes on to say, by the breath of his mouth. And it is particularly where the operations of God are energetic that this term is employed to designate them. God's breath is the irresistible outflow of his power. When Paul declares that, then that every scripture or all scripture is the product of the divine breath, is God breathed, he asserts with as much energy as he could employ that scripture is the product of a specifically divine operation. And some of us can't pick it up in the morning. Some of us have trouble reading it each day. This is God's word, God's voice, God's initiative. Not just men feeling motivated to do something great, 
So why must Timothy stand firmly on the ground of Scripture? Why, Why will I dig a hole, stand in it, and cement myself in that hole immovable on the ground of Scripture? Why? Because this is not any book. We're hearing this, right? This is not any book. This is God's breath. This is God's power. Yes, okay, it's through Moses. And it's through David and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and Malachi and Zechariah and Matthew and John and Paul and Peter. Yes, it is. But Peter tells us that it was not of their own will, but they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's a process that somehow, even though not fully understood, Paul describes as being breathed out by God. The word of God, your Bible, is one of the great displays of God's power. This word of divine origin that leads men to salvation through divine Christ-centered wisdom. All scripture, all scripture, every part of it and all of it, breathed out by God. It's by God's divine power. And so we have to ask this question because that's, the, that's what's being answered to Timothy in the space of opposition. Who could possibly be its competitor? And God's word is essential in divine usefulness. In divine usefulness. Uh, This is also what Paul is calling Timothy to continue in and Timothy to be persuaded by, right? Look at verse 16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, if you look at those words... Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. See those, see those words? Now put it into context of Timothy in Ephesus facing opposition, maybe even in the face of persecution when he stands you know, solidly on living out a godly life and teaching the truth of the gospel. What's he going to need to do in ministry in dealing with that situation in Ephesus? Let me tell you what he's going to need to do. He's going to need to teach. He's going to need to rebuke. He's going to need to correct. And he's going to need to train in righteousness. See what these are in context? It's what we all need to be doing with each other. Paul is saying, if you've got the scriptures, Timothy, you have all you need because of the divine power of God. It's his breathed out Christ-centered word. And, And Paul kind of makes what sounds like an understatement in here. If you look at it, maybe you'll see it sounds like an understatement to you. He says the scriptures are profitable or useful for this. Do do you see, wonder, that that kind of sounds a bit like an an understatement. And if we're really not careful, you know, it it can sound something like this. Uh, When you do these tasks, teaching, rebuking, reproofing, correcting, training in righteousness, Timothy, when you do these tasks, the scripture might come in handy too. That is not what Paul is saying here. Why? How can I say that? Because this statement is made in conjunction. It's not separate to the fact that all scriptures are breathed out by God. They go together. And so he's not saying, hey, listen, it's your prerogative if you want to use them because you think they might help. He's saying this, the very nature 
of the scriptures in their usefulness or profit demand that they be our primary source for all ministry. The very nature of them in their usefulness or profit is based on them being breathed out by the all-powerful God of the universe. So Timothy, really, in, in relation to your ministry, you couldn't have any higher authority for profitable use to fulfill your task and continue in what you have learned and form, firmly believed. That's for all of us. They're profitable. What are they profitable for? Teaching. Now that word teaching that is used here, it's not simply profitable for the process of teaching, it's talking about the content more of teaching. They are truth, they are wisdom, they are the saving message of Jesus Christ, they are the revelation of God. And in the reality of that truth, Timothy's commitment to the scriptures compels him then to minister to real people with real problems, even those who are opposing him. And you know what it really shows us? It, it, it shows us that when you do that, when you bring the truth to people, what does it do? It sheds light on us, right? And what does it shed light on? Particularly our sin, our weaknesses, our disobediences, where our thinking is in the wrong. It's, and, and so what it ends up doing is it says, hey, you've got to go for, further. There's no shortcuts here. Once you start using scripture with somebody, you're going down a path because there's going to be rebuking. You're not going to be pointing the finger and rebuking. The scriptures are going to highlight, they're going to shed light on somebody's life and therefore there's going to be need for rebuke. Well, the rebuke comes from scripture and God's word's going to display that and convict us of our sinful nature and behavior. It exposes error. Uh, look at Psalm 119 or listen to Psalm 119, 104 and 105. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Look at what it shows me my false ways. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The, the ministry of the scriptures, it, it doesn't just stop at rebuke. Then it turns us to real correction. It's a behavioral transformation. It shows us, hey, we've got to turn a corner here. It's not just a reprimand, right? It, it's, a, it's a correction. It turns us around. There's a, it leads us to repentance, a real repentance. It shows us what it looks like. And what does that look like? It looks like turning around and then being trained in righteousness. The word Paul uses there for training is a word for instruction or discipline or even discipline. It's the same word that we find in Ephesians where it's talking about parents and children. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you see that there? It's like the way a parent will help a child to understand and stay on the right path. That's what the scriptures do for us. It's an ongoing disciplined ministry. Titus 2.12, we used it last week, training us, that's that word again, disciplining us, training us to renounce ungodly and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. So it trains us under righteousness, which is God's attribute, isn't it? God is a God who is completely good and right all of the time and it disciplines us to be conformed to his image. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for this. And lastly, and we'll do this very, very quickly, God's word is sufficient for our divine calling. Look at verse 17 to finish, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, that's not the first time that Paul has used the word man of God with Timothy. In fact, saying this to Timothy, 
but it's a phrase that doesn't just speak to Timothy alone, okay? It puts Timothy in this category. You're one of these, Timothy. You're a man of God. It's who we all should be, a man and woman of God, one who ministers with the word of God. And so that ought to be all all of us. And, And that's what makes this last phrase such a glorious, glorious phrase for each one of us here today. The question is, Do you want to be confident in your ministry as a Christian and in your life as a Christian? Do you want to be confident in what you're doing as a Christian? Well, here's a good tip for you, right? You are not the expert. You want to be confident in ministering to somebody else? You are not the expert. You are only competent or or, or complete, fully qualified or equipped, these words that Paul uses, you're only that to the degree that God's word is your sole sufficient guide and authority. Because who's the expert? God is. God is the expert. We are not the experts. And the more you rely on his divinely God-breathed, Christ-centered, authoritative, useful, profitable word, the more you are prepared for the calling he has before you. Every good work. What is that? Let me just suggest, if you've ever read the Great Commission, that really encompasses every good work. Go and make disciples. That's people coming to Jesus, helping them to obey all that I have commanded them, becoming more like Jesus. Salvation and sanctification. All of our work is within that frame unto Jesus' return, isn't it? Isn't it? So, this last statement, equipped for every good work, Paul's statement is simply saying, in the work of salvation, in the work of sanctification, in in pastoral ministry, in biblical counselling, in evangelism, in discipleship, in parenting, in life, every good work, God's word is the authority and it is sufficient. Don't leave home without it. Do you get that? Don't leave home without it. Are you hearing me, Christian? Are you hearing me, believer? Will you say this with me one last time? We're going to say this one last time, this statement, this last statement together as it comes up here. Say it with me. In serving our Lord, one thing we must know, God's word must direct us wherever we go. Make sense? Amen. I pray that this is something that we never forget, Lord. May we never forget it. That your word is the all-sufficient, all-authoritative word that we must live by because you are the word of truth. You have breathed this out. This is your word. This is your voice to us. May we revere your voice, Lord, as we revere you. We ask this in your name. Amen.